everyone. Welcome to Bell Curve Podcast, where we are all about optimizing life and work and helping each other be authentic and curious and growth-oriented along the way. I'm Rachel Breyers, joined by Mary Scott Hunter and Liz Bashirs, and today we get to talk about a topic I could geek out on all day long, and I know y'all could too, and that is the stunning influence our minds have over our bodies, and conversely, the influence our bodies have over our minds, and how all of that affects our behaviors, attitudes, performance, relationships, health, really everything. For example, a new study out of the University of British Columbia found that after just one night of not getting enough sleep, maybe this isn't surprising, People react more emotionally to stressful events the next day, and I thought this was interesting, don't find as much joy in the good things. Our bodies affect our minds and outlooks that way, right? That's not terribly surprising. On the flip side, medical literature consistently points to how emotions and thoughts, really our minds, affect our bodies. For example, there's extensive literature showing that stress and anger have real adverse effects on the clinical outcomes for heart disease and other patients, according to a recent Yale report. And I think all of this is intuitive, but it just bears sort of talking about. I think we know it and we experience it, but then studies show up and we're like, oh yeah, that that really is true. Our bodies affect our minds, our minds affect our bodies. Mary Scott and Liz, do y'all have any memorable examples of a time where you clearly realized your mind was having an effect on your body or the other way around for better or worse? I think the body on the mind piece is very, I mean, it's just ubiquitous. I mean, I'm thinking about it all the time. I got to get in a good night's sleep tonight because tomorrow I've got that big thing. You know, I didn't eat well today, so I'm not, I didn't sleep well, you know, I'm not sleeping well or, you know, I mean, I think that happens often and you notice it and you, you guard against it, but For me, the mind on the body has been less so. And maybe that's because I'm still pretty young and active and, you know, that all can be managed pretty well. But in 2014, when my husband deployed and I was still in politics, I was still serving in office and I was trying to climb the corporate ladder and, you know, just trying to do way too much with three kids and missing husband and just, I all of a sudden my fingers and my toes swelled up and I did a little round of doctors and I wound up at a rheumatologist and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis was the specific kind. And he put me on a medicine and I decided then and there that I was going to make some changes and did make some changes, started getting more rest, called in some help, you know, ate better, slept better, the whole bit. Everything cleared up at the same time that I was taking the medicine. So of course my doctor attributed it to the medicine, but I went off the medicine shortly after, you know, I was on the medicine a short time and I haven't had any symptoms and I made major life changes since then. And so, you know, his job was to get a diagnosis, but my job was to heal myself. And so I think that was the first time in my life when I really started noticing the mind and what's going on in your head can really affect your body. And to this day, I really think if I had just done the lifestyle changes and not the medicine, that I might have seen the same outcome. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But um, yeah, that was the first time I noticed that. Does this morning count? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, So I, I did my regular Friday thing of I got up this morning and went to the gym and worked out and, and I came back and I, I am trying to incorporate eating earlier in the day again, you know, I'd done intermittent fasting for a while and had some, some good results with that. But 
I am trying to up my protein intake, but I, I got so buried in work so quickly and just things were piling on, piling on, piling on. And I started feeling all these anxiety effects and like my fingers were starting to go a little bit numb and I couldn't focus on anything. And I was like, Oh wait, my blood sugar is probably low. I'm not diabetic, but I haven't eaten anything today. And I've had three cups of coffee and a pre-workout. So maybe I should get something in my bloodstream um, to, to be able to get that physiological on board with the, um, the demands of my brain right now. So that's the most recent one, but it, that similar to, to Mary Scott, I have learned so, so deeply over the last about year and a half, how connected the mind and body are when it comes to performance, not just physical performance, but um, work performance as well. It is fascinating to me. And I think we've all experienced that. And like you said, Liz, we experience it daily, whether or not we're aware of it or not, we, it is affecting us. So we've all experienced it, but perhaps few of us have actually studied this in, in terms of high performance. So I am super excited because we have a guest today who has studied this. And so I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Angie Pfeiffer to the show. Angie, welcome to Bell Curve. Thanks so much for having me, everyone. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. So Angie is a trainer, executive coach. She is a mental performance consultant at Higher Echelon Incorporated. They work with public sector clients and private sector clients all over the map. She actually just wrapped up leading a really impactful cognitive enhancement program for a government client that we're going to talk a little bit about in a moment. She formerly served as a performance trainer at the United States Military Academy at West Point, where she worked with teams and individuals in both athletic and military performance domains. She holds multiple degrees from Penn State, Cal State, Michigan State, including her PhD in sport and exercise psychology. And she serves as scientific program chair on the executive board for the Association for Applied Sport Psychology. So Angie, everything you study just sounds fascinating to me, but we have a bunch of questions for you that I'd love to just dive right in on. So you specialize in the science behind high performance, which I have heard you describe as the study of how to be our best more often. I love how you phrase that. And I think we'd all love to be our best more often. So can you sort of unpack that for us? Sure. Thanks, Rachel. Um, Yeah, you know, when I think about what it is I do in my credentialing. And as you describe my background, there's a lot of technical words in there. And within those technical words, people get lost in what sports psychology is or what high performance is all about. And so to simplify it and really make it resonate, I talk about being our best more often. And I totally agree that I think most people want to be their best more often in every context. We want to be our best more often at home for our families. Um, we want to be our best more often at work so that we're, we're performing our best and we're able to maximize our, our productivity with work. Um, and then it's not just about productivity. It's about satisfaction and enjoyment. So when we're our best, we're happier. We're enjoying life more. And that bleeds over into every relationship we have, into our, our work, into our activities and our hobbies. It bleeds into everything. So from my perspective, how we get there is being intentional. And so the first step of being intentional is developing some self-awareness. And that self-awareness is around our body, around our mind, around how our, our where our thoughts are. And so I'll, I'll break those down a little bit for you guys. But 
from the, the physical perspective, and thanks Mary Scott and Liz for, for sharing some of your examples, but you're right, physically we can have all the way on the continuum from like uh, disease and disorder and you know, really significant health concerns all the way over to you know, maybe it's a daily headache or muscle ache. But within that continuum of, of our physical health, the way that we are, are fueling our body from our thoughts really does impact us. Um, so when we think about stress, stress is something that, um, you know, we all think of as, as pretty negative and stress can, it has that physical component. So when we're stressed, we might be a little bit more tense. And then that tension makes us maybe react a little bit quicker. We're a little bit more frustrated. Um, and then because we're a little bit more frustrated, we're reacting a little bit quicker. We have that tension in us uh, that decreases our performance. So, and then what do we blame for the decrease in performance? We might blame the stress. We might blame uh, the thoughts, but really self-awareness is about understanding what happens to you. So my stress and the way my body responds is going to be different than yours, than Mary Scott's, than Liz, than any of our listeners. Mm -hmm. So the first step of self-awareness is let's understand what happens to us. What happens to me, Angie, when I'm stressed out? What happens to me when I'm having a great day and everything's feeling great? What is that feeling like? And just developing more of an understanding around those feelings and, and what we experience. Because once we understand that and we're aware, now we can do something about it. Angie, I want to talk about kind of overcoming overcoming physical limitations, overcoming mental limitations. Because we started out thinking about okay, the body has the effect on the mind, the mind has the effect on the body. That example that I put out there um, at the beginning, I really do think that fear for my husband, fear for his life, you know, some other fears that were percolating around at the time in 2014 for me, and just more stress than I don't think, than I think I've ever been in my whole life. I think culminated in a, some, a really bad time, a time when my, def, I mean, my career didn't go on the skids, but I wasn't doing anything to help myself at the time. I really wasn't doing anything very well. I wasn't being a very great mom. I wasn't, I was just kind of surviving. And you do have to sometimes overcome, the body has to overcome the mind. The mind has to overcome the body. But I, it sounds like what you're telling us is you, you want all that to be working the way it should. <laughs> um, but what happens when it's not? What do you do? I mean, I know one trick I have, I, I know that when my, when my body is tired, I spend more time planning because I know that I need to follow steps. You know, I need to kind of put myself on a, on a schedule. I need to tell myself, okay, you got to get up at this time. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. Because it's almost like my own personal instruction manual. I start giving myself an instruction manual because I know I'm too tired to really I'm, going to, I'm not going to be able to get to three o'clock at the end of the day and do that thing unless I've told myself when I'm not tired that I got to do it. So give, me, give us some ideas for when the body is weak or when the mind is weak, you can, over, you can kind of compensate. Give us, some, give us some tricks for that, please. Sure. So, you know, I think our, our biggest tricks are from the, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of the, the mind tricks first and then um, a, a physical trick as well. 
but, and actually instead of tricks, let's call them skills. Yes. So, so from a mental skills perspective, one of the, one of the most important things that I teach is self-talk and self-talk is, it's a funny skill because we all already are engaging in it. So self-talk is all the things that we're thinking to ourselves. Um, it's that inner voice. And what's important about self-talk is that it really provides us a lot of content and direction on what we're doing. And if we all just take a moment to reflect on some of the things that we say to ourselves throughout the day, my guess is it's not a lot of positive. Hmm. We tend to be critical. We tend to go negative. We tend to beat ourselves up. And and there's some human nature in that, and that's okay. And, And I also notice that it really happens a lot for high performers too. So people that have set some high expectations for themselves that, you know, have really high bar that they're chasing and whether that's in one domain or across the board for them. But when we have, and, and there's nothing bad about that. We want to strive for great things, but if we're only failing in our minds, if we're only critical of the progress we're making, then we're really holding ourselves back. So self-talk is about, being much more intentional and productive with our thoughts. I stay away from the word positive because positive sometimes is it feels inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And if we're not being authentic with ourselves, we're not going to believe it. So if we're just, you know, shining rainbows and butterflies for the sake of it, you know, at some point that's going to be like, I don't believe it. I agree with you. I hate that term positivity. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really popular term right now, but it feels so silly to me because uh, the fact is you, uh, positive self-talk is not necessarily positive. Do you, you know what I mean? Not necessarily yeah. accurate. <laughs> like, yeah, so, yeah, it's not necessarily real. Like, you're great. Not, well, uh, maybe today I haven't been so great, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I talk a lot about being, about productive self-talk. And productive self-talk is anywhere on the continuum from neutral to positive. Some days we feel positive, go for it. You know, if that's a one day a month thing, like shine the rainbows and butterflies, it's great. But if we're not feeling that and we're more on the, self-critical, the doubts, the fears, then let's shift ourselves just a little bit to neutral. So neutral could be your to-do list. It could be the Mm -hmm. things that I need to get done today. You know, what am I going to do today to feel productive? What kind of day is going to be an acceptable day? It doesn't have to be great. It could just be a little bit better than crap. (laughs) So we talk about it a little bit on the degrees of crappiness scale. And if we're all the way down sinking in, then we want to just take, you know, maybe a couple steps out. If we're, if we're somewhere in the middle, maybe we can take a step towards it being a little bit brighter and a little bit drier over there. Angie, you said that sometimes high performers are the hardest. So they might actually be doing really, really well, but on their own scale, all they see is just where they've fallen short. And what, what you're talking about, I listened to a podcast recently Um, I think it was the Making Sense podcast with Sam Harris. He interviewed a neurosurgeon. And what you're saying just resonates with what this neurosurgeon said that, you know, that effect of maybe you decide to go shop for a car and suddenly you've picked out which car you want. And so you see it everywhere that when we think of ourselves as failures or that we're not doing 
really well. We're like planting these channels in our brain that then we just start. That's all we see because we've planted it. Does that resonate? Absolutely. Yeah. So that actually is called priming in psychology. And so the idea behind priming is that our brain is primed for that, that particular thing. So the car example is perfect. Um, and I have a car example. My brother bought a white car and after he bought that, I never really thought about a white car, but all of a sudden now I'm seeing white cars everywhere. Well, there's not more white cars out there. I'm just, I'm primed to see and notice those. I'm picking up those cues more. So, so that's definitely something that's happening. And if we prime our brains to seek out some more of those productive things, that's what's going to happen. I like to say where the mind goes, the body follows. So if I'm telling myself, like, and if I wake up and I'm like, all right, today's going to be a productive day. Okay, that's not really, you know, too mushy on the positivity scale. It's, it's just like, I'm going to get a bunch done and I've got some, some priorities and some goals. I've just set that intention. Now that's what my mind is, is seeking out. My brain is looking for things that feel pr- productive and then as those things come in, I'm like, cha-ching, yep, that felt productive. And the next one comes in, cha-ching, another productive uh, deposit in the bank. And so then we feel rewarded by the results of that priming. I think we said on an episode at some point in the past, ladies, maybe you remember that you can say 800 words per minute to yourself. I think that was, yeah, it it was a lot of words that you can say to yourself. So that to me speaks to the importance of what you are saying to yourself, because you can say a lot of bad stuff and a lot of stuff that won't help you get through your day. Or you can say a lot of stuff that could really be useful and helpful to you getting through your day. So let's take the other side of it. The, that's the mind on the body body on the mind. I mean, maybe that's the one we all understand a little bit better. I, I, I know that when I, when I'm not doing well at something, you know, at work, at a relationship, at a, a mothering issue, a, a, a being a good, being a, the wife I want to be the, you know, the, I, I, a lot of times will say, okay, Mary Scott, you, you gotta, you gotta start blocking and tackling. <laughs> and what I mean by that is just the basics, go back to the basics of your game. And you got to get some sleep. You got to get some, you got to eat a salad. <laughs> you, gotta, you know what I mean? So is that, is that what I should be doing? Am I off base? What, what's, how does that all work? The, the body on the mind. Yeah. So, and I agree. I think this is what people are more familiar with. So, and you're right. Those, those basics are let's eat healthy. Let's get some sleep. Let's drink some more water. Um, but then there's another area that's really powerful that people skip over and that's breathing. And breathing is so, exactly. Everybody so for the audio. We all three of us just went. (gasps) Yeah, like, oh, thanks for the reminder. Again, it's so funny because we're constantly breathing. It's an automatic thing. However, when we think about what we're like at our best, we're, we're breathing calm. Our body is relaxed and loose and... That means that our heart rate is a little bit lower, our blood pressure is a little bit lower, our body's ability to, to process blood lactate is improved, our, we're getting more oxygen to our brain. All of those things are really important for any kind of performance. And 
if you take the opposite of that, when we're not at our best, when we're frustrated, when we're stressed, when we're, you know, when, when we need to start blocking and tackling, that's when, when we're tense, our heart rate might be up a couple ticks, our blood pressure's up, our, we're getting less oxygen to our brain. And so those things happening to us are, are hindering any performance. So what we can do is pause, slow down, take that super good, slow, deep, diaphragmatic breath, okay, center ourselves, find our, our be present again. And when we do that now, physiologically, we've just taken a heightened system and we've gone, and sometimes that's all we need. But if we spend too much time up here, too much time in that chronic stress zone, there are physi- physiological, physical health ramifications of that. We're going to see it manifest in our ability to get good quantity and quality of sleep. We're going to see it in our blood pressure. We're going to see it in our body's ability to digest food. And whether that means we start putting on weight or we start losing too much weight or, you know, or we have gastrointestinal issues. Um, there's a lot of things and there's, there's, a ton of research out there in, in the medical side of, you know, the ramifications of, of stress and how stress can actually cause cardiac events. And, you know, so there's a, there's a big, there's big consequences of not dealing with our stress. And the simple thing that we can do is be more in tune with our breathing, slow it down, and then develop a, a, a bit of a consistent practice. And, what I think is really important with that is I'm not telling anybody that you need to go become a, a master meditator, um, you know, go study with the Buddhist monks and, and meditate for, for an hour a day. For most people, they're not going to be able to do that. If you can, awesome, go for it. But for, for most of us normal mortal people, um, what's going to be most effective is something simple. So I love to do a good deep breath before I start anything new. Okay, so I get up in the morning, do my morning routine, sit down at my computer, and before I dive into emails, I just take a good centering breath. Okay, or I finish a meeting, and before I start my next meeting, instead of like clicking from one, now I'm on the other, my mind's still there. Wait, did we finish everything? What's happening with this new one? I forgot to take a look at my notes. You know, when, when we're all over the place like that, that's causing our, our mind to be all over, but then it's impacting mm-hmm. our body as well. I'm glad to get that advice because we go, we, we make tons of decisions every day and even a little bit of degradation in your decision-making, you know, you didn't sleep well the night before you had a half fight with your spouse to, you know, the day before, I mean, anything can affect it, but the degradation of your decision-making you know, not to mention all the long-term health effects that come between that mind-body connection. But, you know, I do think, I do think that those, if we don't take care of it, if we don't manage the body, it will degrade our decisions. And over time that has a cumulative effect. And one of one, two, three, some cumulative number of those decisions can impact your marriage, your relationship, your, your profession, your whatever, whatever's important to you. So breathe. I know one thing for sure. <clears throat> I've, I've worn an Apple watch for the last several years and a couple of times a day, it, it reminds me to do this breathing exercise mm-hmm. and I always ignore it because I'm just like, <laughs> busy right now. I'm going to start paying attention and to it. And it's one minute. 
One minute. I have an Apple Watch too, and I try really hard to always do it. Sometimes you're in the middle of a presentation or something, you can't, but just that one minute of breathing. I have to go back to my Fitbit because I told my Fitbit never to give me that message again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't have time to breathe right now. So we've talked a little bit about productivity and you mentioned going back to that to-do list. Um, I I think a lot of us really love that feeling of, of stepping into this state of flow and just knocking stuff out. And it's just, you, you look back and you're like, Oh my goodness, I got a lot done today. This is a really productive day. But in this age of, I've got two cell phones in front of me. I've got my Apple watch going off. I have two computers running two different things going on right now. And I feel all over the place all the time. How do we take back some of that, those attention suckers? Um, you know, Rachel and I are both fans of Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. I think we've, we've talked about it a little bit before on the podcast, but the concept of focus and deep work is very, very, very hard to achieve when you have all of these outside distractions going on all the time. And I think not in general, but I think women particularly are often seen as, oh, they can multitask. They can handle a lot of things at a time. Is multitasking a myth or are, can we do multiple things at once? And can we focus on multiple things at once? Um, so that's from question number one, but what do you recommend to help us get stuff done with all these distractions around us? Sure. Lots of great, great questions within that. Um, but to talk about multitasking, so I'm, this is the, the test. So I want you all to think right now about you're talking on the phone. Okay, so it's, a, it's an important call. Somebody called, you're talking on the phone, and at the same time, you have an important email that came in. So you're, you're like, I got this. I multitask all the time. You've got the phone call going and you're talking and you've got, you're typing up the email response. What happens? I cannot I can't do it focus either. on two things like that. I can't do audit, auditory and visual at the same time. I can, I can be thinking about something while I'm doing something visual, but I can't do auditory and visual at the same time. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It does. Well, in, in my point is that, you know, multitasking doesn't really exist. We can't do, we can't fully focus in on multiple things because think about what's happening in our brains. We're not designating like this, these brain cells are going to go to the phone call. These brain cells are going to go to the email. And then these brains, no, we can't do that. So, but what we do and what we can do well is shift our focus. And then there's also some things that are automatic. So the things that are automatic, like think about when, when we're driving, we can drive, listen to music and maybe make sure that the kids in the back are, uh, you know, have everything they need. So we, we can do a little bit of that, but some of it's automatic. Now, when it comes to things though, that require more attention, we cannot give something partial attention and give something else partial attention. What we can do is shift back and forth and we can shift So the way that we can practice that is when, when we're, we're sitting down to, to plan out our day and thinking about, you know, what are the big priorities? If we prioritize and we think about, okay, what is the thing that I need to, I need the most focus on. And we get that done during our, our highest focus period. And everybody's is different. Some people are like the night owls and they need to do their writing at night. Some people are like the first thing in the morning. That's when I have the best focus. 
But thinking about for you, when is, when's your highest focus time? Let's put the most, the thing that you need the most focus on during that time. And then we also need to think about um, if there's things that are going to pull our attention. So for me, when I'm like writing, if I'm writing like a, a final report or, or something like that, I can't have emails dinging and phones dinging and multiple things going on. I need to actually turn those off. And that's scary for us now in the digital age because we feel like we need to be instantly connected to everyone, not just at work, but everyone. And, and that's not good for our brain. Our brain needs a little bit more just focusing in on the one thing, okay? What my recommendation is, is short periods of time. So we're at our best for focusing for about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Some people are lower than that. That's okay. But figuring out for yourself, you know, how about how long can you give full attention and then take a break. And maybe part of that break is checking all your emails, checking your phone, grabbing a snack. Okay. And, and the break isn't as long as the focus period. <laughs> so we can't focus for 20 break for, for an hour. <laughs> okay. Focus for 20 break for five focus for 20. Or if we're, we've got a lot of things that we've got going on, it's narrowing it down to what's the one important thing right now, giving that full focus. Maybe it's an email that takes five minutes, but it's really focusing in on that email. And now I'm going to shift to the next thing. And so what I think that most humans can do better at is instead of trying hard to multitask, let's get better at shifting, prioritizing, and and also then using what's naturally our our best times of day to focus. Angie, I want to talk to you about some high-vis national security work that you just wrapped up. I know you were working for uh, the government contractor, Higher Echelon. I know you cannot mention who the government customer was, uh, so we want to respect that. But Higher Echelon was the government consulting firm who won that contract, and you did a cognitive enhancement training for this government customer, for their employees. I understand that the results of that training were pretty impressive. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so the biggest thing that we were trying to do is improve job performance. Okay? And from the, the customer perspective, that was that's the bottom line. That's what they want. They want to see their workforce perform better. And the other thing, though, that was a more indirect uh, measure of something that we were really trying to improve on is customer service. And in an organization that There's a high performance demand for both speed and accuracy, and then also being really nice to people along the way and and having those those interactions maybe with with customers that are unhappy. That's, That's asking a lot. So the government organization we worked with really wanted to provide some training that helps them to develop skills and tools to be able to perform a little bit better at their job while also managing in the the customer and then also taking care of themselves. So they really started to see that, you know, maybe our workforce needs, they need some skills to, for them, some skills to be able to, to focus in on the right things, to manage their energy, to be able to think effectively. 
So, so those were some of the big things that, that we wanted to, to work on. And we did find some really impressive results. Uh, so what we did, and we had a, a two-phased approach. And during phase one, we collected some baseline metrics. And we wanted to then compare those after our, our training period and an incubation period with some reminders built in. We wanted to then compare that to a, a post-baseline measure. And so what we were able to find is that our participants that went through our program improved their working memory, um, which working memory is something I think that could be helpful for probably everyone to, to enhance, but our participants improved their working memory 33% post, which was a huge number and pretty awesome to find. That is incredible. The, yeah. Um, the other thing that we found was... Um, our participants improved their reaction time by 21%. So to be able to, to just you know, improve on the speed, um, 21% faster in our, our post-tests. Post and then at the same time, they actually improved their accuracy 2%. And so while 2% seems like pretty low, the really cool thing about um, reaction time, speed, and accuracy is usually when we get faster, we start making more mistakes. But what we found was as they got 21% faster, they actually got 2% better in terms of, of their, their correctness. I, so I take, I take that any day of the week. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Heck yeah. Faster and, and better? Faster yes. and better. And then yes. the other really impressive result we got was we measured, um, it's something called heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is our, it looks at, how we are able to relax under stress or under pressure. And we're actually able to measure that with some, some biofeedback. And so what we did again, the pre and the post, and we found a 15% improvement for participants in the post. So just by learning some deliberate breathing exercises, and then also the effective thinking and the attention focus control, they were able to, to make that big improvement. So they took and then the some the down. So it's not just a heart rate measure. It's a measure of the space in between heartbeats. Hmm. So we what we want to see is, you know, yes, heart rate is important, but there's a lot of things that affect heart rate. But what this measures is the space in between the heartbeats. So if that space is erratic and it's like up and down and up and down and squiggly, that means, you know, we, we kind of have a lot going on. We're, we're not in a good, calm, relaxed state. Huh. If our heart rate goes up and then it's a nice sine wave and it goes down and there's a little pause and it goes back up now. And even just thinking of it like that, it's, it feels more calm. So, hmm. so that's what we measure. And that's pretty standard in the, um, the performance area of how to measure stress. Angie, we don't have a lot of time left, but hmm. one thing I am interested in your feedback on is the idea of excellence. I, I come from an Air Force background, integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. Those are our core values. And the one I always thought about is excellence in all we do, like everything, you know, because I, I am a firm, firm believer that there are just some things that all you got to do is good enough. That's all you got to do. There's no extra advantage for doing A+. There's, I mean, getting over a threshold is all you have to do. That 
for that particular task. Now, certainly, you know, a surgery, a, a, you know, a, a, a high vis presentation, a, you know, a, an important sales pitch. I mean, those are ones that you want to do a superlative, excellent, over the top job on. But my goodness, I mean, there's just a lot of things that you just don't have to do excellently. And, and, and it's just good enough to do it good enough. So talk to me about that a little bit. Are we stressing ourselves out? Are we, are we killing ourselves to just do too much in the world today? I'll tell you what, before you answer, Angie, Mary Scott, even you just saying that puts the Enneagram three in me under great stress of just like, (laughs) of course I have to be excellent at everything I do. What are you talking about? (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. No, no problem. So the word that came to my mind as you were talking, Mary Scott, is the word balance. And balance is so important because if we are pushing ourselves to be our best or the best at everything across the board all the time, we're going to run out of energy. We're going to run out of time. And so if we don't have that balance of, you know, being able to be okay when something is not at our absolute best or not perfect, then, you know, we're, we're running that risk of chronic stress. And then that leads into all the things that we talked about earlier on the podcast. So I think what's really important is to pick and choose. It's to find what are the moments that I need to be my best and that I I need to have that high demand of myself. And then what are the moments that good enough is good enough? You know, I just got it done. That was, that's, that was the goal. Um, you know, I think that's really important. The other thing I think is so important here is we're modeling our behavior constantly to others. And if we're modeling to kids and especially, you know, we talked about the challenge of being a woman and, and balancing everything as a woman, especially when we're modeling to girls, if we're showing them that we have to be perfect all the time, we're creating an anxious environment for them to be in. And, and there's so many mental and physical health ramifications of that anxiety. And so let's be good stewards of modeling balance and showing that sometimes it's a win just to get it done and it doesn't have to be perfect. But then there are other times that I can really strive to be my best because that's what, that's what I'm going for right now. Angie, this has been so good. Maybe one more takeaway for our community. You know, if you could say anything, what would you say? I think my my one big takeaway is, you know, whether or not you believe in the power of the mind over the body or you, you practice it at all, I think the one big thing that's important is when we are in a period of, of stress, challenge, or even crisis, know that your mind does have an impact on your body and that you can help yourself a little bit out of that feeling. And we can do that by just taking a deep breath, by refocusing in on something positive or productive. And we can do that by focusing in on the right things. So those three simple things are now tools that you can add to your, your mental and physical skill toolbox, which, which we all have kind of next to us that we may not may or may not have recognized. And, and then we can pull out those tools and use them anytime we want. 
Well, you can connect more with Dr. Angie Pfeiffer by going to higherechelon.com and through Higher Echelon's LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook pages, and Angie and any of the super high caliber coaches and trainers at Higher Echelon can come into your organization and do high performance leadership and change management workshops and training and executive coaching virtually or in person, depending on your needs. And we will link to other information about Angie in the show notes. If you'd like more information about us as well, please connect with us at bellcurvepodcast.com. Leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform if you like us. Thank you for joining us. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.